0: Okay. Well, I appreciate all these. I really appreciate the vulnerability. I appreciate, appreciate you guys really thinking about it, and I know for each and every one of these that was shared, uh, there's more uh, just internally and in what, what you 're processing and so I would just encourage you to continue to process that and This was the largest small group time i 've ever held, and I know mike wasn't experiencing or wasn 't expecting a follow up question um, but but yeah, I, I, I really appreciate uh, just that vulnerability and that opportunity to stand up. And I hope all of us, as we hear things like that, as we see uh, those of us that also call ourselves followers of Christ uh, say the things that were said this morning, we recognize little parts of us in each, each and every one of them and, and, and realize that common path that we are on and, and an understanding that, that, that for all of us, we are at different points in that time uh, and just as we're reminded of, of John 1, 42, where Jesus came into Peter's life and, and says, you are, you will be Peter. We understand that a lot of these things we say are still yet future and, and gentleness, you know, is an excellent example. All these fruit of the spirit that we recognize that is now present in my life when it wasn't. But I also recognize and in faith, know that God is going to grow it even more in the future as I continue to trust in him and follow after him. But there are those times, unfortunately, where we trust in our old name. You know, Peter uh, was Simon. And I, I, I don't have time this morning to go way back into his namesake of an understanding of who Simon was before he understood what it meant to be Peter. But we all know kind of a glimpse and an idea of what it's like for us to be who we were before Christ started working on our on ourself and how often I also start to trust back in to what I used to be instead of trusting where God is taking me. And, and so we, we've looked at this pairing of of Jesus changing his name, but also Peter's words out of 1 Peter 1, 4, or 2, 4, and 5, where he speaks to us being living stones, being turned into Peter's. Our names are being changed. We're being built up. And we've looked at different aspects of this verse as we have moved along. And the thing that I want to focus on today is that at the very end where it says that we're to offer spiritual sacrifices. We are living stones built off of the living stone into a, uh, a a house stone. As we looked at last week, uh, that would be built with patience. But the whole purpose of this is to live out our identity, live out this new day, new name. And that requires sacrifice. That requires a giving up of the old self. Paul used the term living sacrifice, That was his term for this same concept out of Romans 12. Jesus put it this way, and I'm going to put it up here for you out of uh, Matthew 16. In fact, this verse, Jesus says this right after he gets done rebuking Peter. When we talked about that last week about when he said, get behind me, Satan, because you have the things of man instead of the things of God. He goes on to say, this is what it looks like to build your house on the stone. It's to deny deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. That's living sacrifice language. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. And when I think about what that means, to know that a cross is this implement of death and and of something ending inside of me, of of dying to self at some level and in all areas— I realize that as I do this, I'm asking every day, is it worth it? So every week I've kind of thrown out this basic discipleship question. And today it's this, it's, is it worth it? Because when I'm, when I'm, I to self in some way to pick up a cross, I'm, and, and, and I realize that I'm, I'm choosing whether I'm going to trust Jesus and build on the stone or trust in myself and build on sand, uh, going for the easier way, uh, yet one that will, that will blow over. Um, I, I'm asking, is it worth it? I, I'm bringing up this idea that I'm, I'm about to make an exchange. I'm about to exchange something about my old self for, for the new and better hope that Jesus offers. Uh, the, the, Jesus is calling us to make this exchange. And so uh, one of the best pictures I see of this, of those times that we maybe start to question whether it's worth it, uh, would, be, would be that story of, of Peter's reaction to the night of Jesus' crucifixion. Now, uh, we're, we're kind of running low on time. I just want to run through and summarize that night for you, just to remind you, and we're all fairly familiar with it. And what I actually find most interesting about it is that all of the gospels uh, found that Peter's reaction to this stressful moment to be so critical that they include it. So we understand why we need to know what happened to Jesus in his arrest and his, and his trial and, and crucifixion and death and resurrection. And, uh, but Peter's highlighted all throughout that as well. And if you remember in, in John 13, when they go to the upper room and Jesus begins to wash their feet, who's the one that speaks up? Peter. He says, no, don't wash, wash my, you can't do that, Jesus. Well, Peter didn't understand why he came, that he came to serve. He didn't, he didn't grasp that yet. And then the next thing you see is Jesus saying, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I would never, never. I won't deny you. Denying the knowledge that was imparted to him instead of taking it in and, and, and considering, hey, this is Jesus. He knows more than me maybe i need to you know consider what i should do next or maybe ask a question or okay when is this going to happen instead it's just denial of the denial so that doesn't set him up well for a stressful night, so you know that then they go uh to the garden and and Jesus is in such great stress that he's praying, and we know that the capillaries of his uh, in his inside his his skin start bursting and, and mixing with the, his his sweat and he starts to sweat blood and he's he's praying that God would take this cup from him, but he says, "Your will and not mine be done well." Several times in in that moment, he also is going to his disciples and saying, pray, pray with me, pray with me. And every time he goes back, he finds them asleep. And he just stay awake for a little while with me. And he goes to to them and he says this, what I think is is such a, a great example of what we're talking about. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But then soldiers show up. Judas leads. A group of soldiers to the garden, he knew that Jesus would be there because he prays there often. And this is where I do want to read one part. It's in John chapter 18. If you'd like to turn with me, it'll also be on the screen with you. And I, 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 this scene that we're going to read about is copied all four gospels, but John's the only one that names Peter as being the one that takes the sword out and cuts off the, uh, the ear of the servant. And and so it gets us an opportunity to get an idea of what's going through Peter's head during all of this. And remember, we've already seen he is not getting what's going on and he's not reacting well and he is not uh, living out what it means to be the rock. He seems to just be going all over the place and, and having a hard time taking it all in. So in verse 18, I'm going to read all the way, all the way through uh, verse 11. He says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples across the book Brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. And here's Peter's part. Then Simon Peter having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servants ear servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So John also names the servant. He's making sure we understand exactly what Peter did and who he did it to. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? The father has given me. So Peter, once again, is trying to stand in the way of this redemptive plan that Jesus has. Last week, we talked about that in in Matthew 16. when, When Jesus said that this moment was coming, Peter pulled him aside, and it'll never happen to you. Now that moment has occurred, and Peter's still trying to stand in the way of where Jesus needs to go. And Jesus says... Why are you keeping me from drinking the cup that the father has given to me? And so Peter, we know from the rest of the story, he runs away with the rest of the disciples. Eventually he finds his way with John to the place where Jesus is being beaten and questioned and lied about. And then we know that someone walks up to him and and based on the way Peter is speaking, he has the same accent and says, you must be with them. And he denies Jesus and he does it again. And then we know a small child says something and he starts cursing and I don't even know the guy. And we know at that point he bursts into tears and, and goes into hiding. And then after the crucifixion, Jesus meets with him by a fire and draws Peter back in and calls him once again and and challenges him to to feed the church and lead and asks him about his love. And you see this, this full story come to a a full circle and and, and Jesus and and Peter in a stressful situation, walking away and fleeing and and denying. And now Jesus coming back to him and lifting him up in love and saying, no, your new name is still, still coming Trust me, follow after me, build your life on the stone. I will make you fishermen. I will make you a leader in this church. I will make you a lover of me. You will become Peter. And so as I think about that whole story, I consider my own life. And I, and I think about the times uh, where I, I remember that Jesus has called me to deny myself and pick up the cross. But what makes me deny Jesus and pick myself up? Because isn't that what I'm doing when I come to those points in time where I'm being asked to exchange my old self for what Jesus is doing new inside of me? And I, and, I, and, I, and I say, Jesus, is it worth it? Is it worth the sacrifice that I'm making? Maybe I'd rather prop myself up for what I want to get out of this moment. And I begin to build in sand and I forget what the consequences will be. So many years later, and this is the passage I really want to look at as we close out is, is in Second Peter. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> Peter is going to give a list. He's going to give a list that he feels is going to help us live a fruitful life, help us live a life of, of, of examining what Jesus is asking us and saying, yes, this is worth it. When I build on the stone of Jesus, when I am a living stone in his house, that is made to give spiritual sacrifices. When I'm in that moment, I can look at Jesus and say, yes, this is worth it. And I'm, I'm tempted when I read this passage that we're going to be looking at in second Peter to think, does he, does Peter have that night in his mind? I mean, I just can't help, but think he has that night in his mind all the time because that's the way it is for me with things. I regret, I can be forgiven of something and still live in regret. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I, my mind can get incredibly active and vivid with those things and those moments. And I have a journal. I forget all the good things and the encouraging things. But for some reason, those things, the, the, the regrets, the things that I said wrong or the things that I did wrong or I didn't do, those have highlighter on them. And, and there are those quiet moments when I, when I start running through those. And I forget my new name and I forget what Jesus calls me to, to live out this new identity And I begin to again say, is this even worth it? I mean, all I am is is I just keep going down the wrong path. And, and I, at one point I thought of these things that he is about to this list. And I start to say, do these match up with the different experiences of that night? You know, of, 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 of you know, questioning the servanthood of Jesus and of, of denying uh, this knowledge he was given and of, of, you know, loss of self-control and taking a sword out and, and, and of denying Jesus and, and just denying all godliness and any idea of virtue. But I think a better way might be said, <clears throat> how might that night have gone differently had Peter exhibited some of these qualities? I think that's maybe where Peter is headed with this. And I I think in my own life, when I look at those lists and I think, okay, this is a moment to grow on. This is a moment for me to look back and say... Had I exhibited self-control, had I exhibited, you know, steadfastness, had I exhibited, um, you you could jump over to the other list of the fruit of the spirit, you know, uh, patience in this moment, how would this situation have differed? So let's look at this, this passage that Peter writes to believers that are struggling to live out their new identity in a difficult world uh, filled with suffering and, and persecution. And just the normal stuff of temptation to sin and, and difficulty with raising children and, and keeping a job and, and, and relationships. And he says in verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire before we even get to these qualities that he's, that he lists. And I, and I, I kind of, the center of the list is self-control. And so I kind of want to give that as an over overarching idea. Uh, But before we go there, we need to look at the fact that this is all granted to us by his divine power. And we have escaped from the corruption of sin because of what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. And so we say self-control, but really we should say spirit control. That's really what this whole idea is, that as we live out this new identity, this new name, it's an understanding that it isn't that we've just become better at being rocks. You know, it's an understanding that Jesus has made me a living stone and I'm just now embracing and cooperating with the spirits leading in my life, submitting to it whenever the spirit raises an issue in my life. and, And I'm asked to make a spiritual sacrifice in this moment. And I recognize it is worth it to lay that down and die to that and pick up what God has called me to do. But this is the work of the spirit in our life. This is spirit control. In fact, uh, we, if you're a student of, of the ancients and an understanding of Hellenistic thought and what self-control was, it was very much a humanistic idea of clenching your fist and abstaining from things and saying, I will not eat that rich. F- I, I'm, I'm going to not eat that donut and just stare at it. And just, I'm not eating that donut. And you don't leave the donut. You just stare at it and you show how great you are at abstaining from that donut. And if you can do that, then great. You know, if I stare at that donut for longer than 30 seconds, I know what's going to happen. So if that's the definition of self-control, I don't have any self-control whatsoever. But it also is very uh, calling us away from the pagan elements of the day, which were hedonistic uh, of as far as, hey, if it feels good, do it. So you had these two competing thoughts in Peter and Paul's day and Christianity was saying, uh, reject both of those. This is not about self-improvement, and this is not about eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. This is about Jesus has called you to be something better, and he has given you every ability to do so. We are called to submit to his leadership in our life. So that's the divine power that is given to us. And so he goes on to, in verse 5, Uh, Give this this list of qualities. Now, an understanding Peter, in the way he writes it, you would some people have said, "Well, this is a ladder or steps," Uh, but I I would say this is Peter's through the Spirit list, And, and an understanding that all of these qualities are supposed to be present in our life. We don't just say, "Well, I'm really working on, you know, kindness," and all the rest of them go away. They support one another. And and so he calls them supplementary. You have your faith. Here's what happens when you allow the spirit to work in your life. These things start to show up. In verse five, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So you have this, uh, this list of fruit of the Spirit from Peter's point of view. starts with faith and it ends with love. And in the middle, you have these ideas of self-control and steadfastness. And, and I think about from Peter's point of view of what God was doing in his life, that when he went from being Simon to Peter the rock, those were two things that he would have written down had he been here. Now I can write down self-control. I can write down steadfastness. That, that whenever I'm challenged in my faith, I don't respond with an angry word. In fact, as you track his life in the book, early parts of the book of Acts, when he is pulled into the Pharisees and questioned just like Jesus was, you know, uh, not that long ago. It isn't a, a young girl challenging that he knew Jesus. Now it is the entire Jewish council that just crucified Jesus they stood up and said, you, you need to stop preaching. And he said, do whatever you want, but I'm not going to stop preaching. He did. He, he, he gave a gentle answer. And in fact, they said, isn't this an uneducated fisherman speaking to us? What is going on? He was embracing the and living out this new identity of the spirit developing in him self control. Now, did he, did he fully finish the process? No. We, we know we, we looked at what happened when he had a conflict with Paul and some of the hypocrisy that he lived out, but he was moving forward in that process. He understood that this whole thing is exchanging an old name for a new name, exchanging a, a, one goal for another, you know, exchanging one life for another. It's, it's answering the question, is it worth it with, yes, this is worth it. This morning, I was getting ready in my room, and some of you know we have this, this blind cat in our house. And um, it happens when you have kids. Some animals show up that you're like, where did this, how did we get this? But I'll be fair, most of the animals we have were my fault. This one, though, isn't. And so it's, it's, uh, we found out after we had it from the shelter that it clearly could not see properly. And, uh, he, he, she likes to sit and stare at lights. Cause I think that's the only thing that she can see, but blind animals, I guess they meow a lot, you know, cats do, and, and they're always kind of pawing around and they want to be close to you. And I just had this thought as I was sitting there and, and she's meowing and trying to climb me and of realizing, you know, when you, when you interact with a person that is blind, whether they were born blind or became blind later, there's, there's an ability to interact with them and convince them that, that the world is not as they perceive it. And that, that not everybody is, you know, in the same, seeing the world in the same way. In fact, there are things, you know, like if you've ever had the, a conversation with someone that was born blind on what color is, you know, and things of that nature, it's a difficult conversation. But I realized, you know, I've only thought about the difference between someone that loses their sight midway through life, so they have a little bit of a, a data bank to work with, and someone that's never experienced any kind of visual stimulation and understanding how do you comprehend certain things, how do you have a conversation but then you go this whole other thing of an animal, of thinking, according to her, everyone is this way, and there is no such thing as any of this, and it's just, I, I live by hearing, and I live by taste and smell, and those are the only senses that exist. And I considered that as I thought, you know, one of my biggest struggles in life is, is dealing with the idea that why is it that I know Jesus has a better way, and yet I choose the opposite? Why does that happen? And then, and then I have friends that I know I've, I've had interaction with, and I know they understand what it means to build on the stone, and yet they've decided to say it's not worth it. I'm going the other direction with the rest of my life. And, and for those of us that continue to, uh, to trust God, that's, that can be a difficult thing to go. Why they, they remember what it was like, that life doesn't have to be this way. And then you go the other step of someone that has never tasted and seen that Jesus is good and they're just living out this idea that there is no goodness. There is no such thing as self-control. There is no such and everyone has this same experience. There's no light, there's no color. It's just darkness. And I realize as I ask that question as I'm working through this scenario that all of us are kind of in one of those stages. And a a realization that these qualities are meant to be something that I can self-examine with my life and say, yes, I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen what happens when I lay down my life and I pick up my cross to know that God is doing something tangible with it and it's worth it. In fact, he says that in verse eight, he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unfruitful. If you were a born blind cat and you had no idea what else was going on, the world is always unfruitful and ineffective. But I have seen what happens when I trust God and I, and I become a living stone building on the stone. I see that my house doesn't blow over and I see that it can be effective and fruitful in this life. And so when I, at the end of the day, in this whole process, I ask that question, is it worth it? And I say, yes, building my life on the stone makes life fruitful. Yes, it's worth it. And I guess I, as, as I, Conclude these, these three weeks as we've been examining this life of Peter and an understanding of where God took him, that he he did become Peter. He didn't become perfect, he became Peter. And he was able to recognize through the Spirit's leading that there are qualities that I now see in my life that were not there before. And I can recognize that God is working my life, and when I build on the stone, I see those things last. And it's worth it. And so I guess my exhortation as we finish in those moments when we are asked in our own hearts and we're, our our lives are being pushed against, that wind is blowing, those waves are picking up. What am I building my life on? Because it's worth it to build on the stone, the sacrifice that we need to lay down to give ourselves up so that we can pick him up, pick up our cross and follow after him. I'm going to pray now. Dear God, I thank you for these images that you give us in scripture and this life of Peter. And, and I, I.